want to do that one minute little video with Diane. Okay, very good. All right, all right. Well, let's pray over these. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. And as we go out this week to share the good news of Jesus, we ask that you lead us and guide us to the person that you'd have us to give these tracts to in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get into the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Again verse 1, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Titling this message, speaking for a few moments this morning, Times Like These. Times Like These. Many have said there have never been times like these in which we now live. Paul Harvey, an American radio broadcaster, said many years ago, He said, in times like these, it helps to recall that there have always been times like these. In times in which we now live, it does help to recall that there have always been times like these. Some say that, you know, it's so bad now that, you know, it's never been this bad. It's never been like this and... So it's just helpful to recall that there have always been times like these. In times like these, it helps to recall the days of Noah. Remember, the Bible says the Lord saw the wickedness of man and that it was great in all the earth and that every intent and the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. Remember that? The days of Noah. The Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I made them. That's pretty bad times, wouldn't you say? So in times like these, we must remember that there have been Challenging times before. The Bible goes on to say that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, 
he was a preacher of righteousness in the midst of a sinful world. And God had mercy upon Noah and his family in the midst of all that sin. You know, in times like these, it helps to recall the days of Abraham and his nephew Lot, who lived in Sodom. You know, those sister cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. In times like these, it helps to remember that there was a Sodom and Gomorrah and much wickedness going on in those cities. And of course, the outcry came up before the throne of God and he, along with two angels, came down and of course went in and fellowship with Abraham, told Abraham what he was going to do over in Sodom and Gomorrah. And remember, Abraham interceded, interceded, prayed, if you will. Thank God that the righteous oft times can change things through their prayers. Now, they can't always change things, but sometimes they can. And remember, Abraham interceded and said, if there's 50 righteous in the city, would you save the city? And then 40 and then 30 and then 10, if there be 10 righteous, remember that? And the Lord said, if I can find 10 righteous, I'll spare the city and the cities. And of course, it's clear the Lord went back up and the angels went into the cities and could not find 10 righteous people. And so then the judgment of God fell, but not before Lot and his household were removed from the city. Remember the angel said to Lot, I can't do anything here as far as the judgment of God until you are taken out, until you leave the city. And so remember they left and went on and then the fire of God rained down upon Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sinfulness that that was there. But not till Lot and his family left. Of course, his wife, remember what she did? She looked back, having been warned not to look back, but yet did, was turned into a pillar of salt. So there have been challenging times before, the days of Abraham and Lot. In times like these, it helps to recall the mid-1800s here in the United States when the United States wasn't so united and civil war raged between the North and the South. Yet time marched on. In times like these, it helps to recall the year of 1929 when the stock market crashed, leading to the Great Depression. Yet time marched on. In times like these in which we now live, it helps to remember the rise of the Third Reich under the Nazi madman dictator Adolf Hitler. And the death of millions of Jews in the ovens of the concentration camps. What a horrible time. 
But yet time marched on. In times like these, it helps to recall December 7th, 1941. The day that lives in infamy. When the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, drawing the United States into World War II. Yet time marched on. In times like these in which we live, it helps to recall the 1960s. As racial inequality and bigotry still reigned as a horrible stench here in the United States. When a governor stood in the doorway of a university and refused to let black students enter, what a horrible thing that the governor would do. Yet time marched on. In times like these, it helps to recall September 11th, 2001, when terrorists armed with airline tickets and box cutters caused the death of some 3,000 people as they crashed jet planes into the trade towers and the Pentagon, that field in Pennsylvania. Yet time marched on. In times like these, it helps to recall the financial upheaval of 2008, which led to the Great Recession in which we are still living to one degree or another. In times like these, it helps to recall that the Middle East has always seemingly been a tinderbox of mayhem and calamity. I agree with Paul Harvey and when he said in times like these, it helps to recall that there have always been times like these. Yet I would say it seems as though these times are somewhat different in which we now live. Now, why do I say that? Well, when most of the cataclysmic events occurred of which I just stated, several Bible prophecies were not yet in place for the time of the end to occur. But now... All the Bible prophecies are in place. Knowledge has vastly increased. Great earthquakes continue to happen in various places. The events in the Middle East are moving and unraveling at a quickened pace. Christians are being beheaded as they cling to their testimony of Jesus Christ. Seems as though things are coming right in line for the end of the age as the Bible has prophesied and accurately predicted. The United States sits in a place 
that the devil has been trying to get us to for many, many years, and we're there. I'll say that again. The United States sits in a place that the devil has been trying to get us to for many years. And we're there. Back in 1964, Paul Harvey again wrote an essay titled, If I Were the Devil. If I were the devil, back in 1964. And I'm going to read that and just think about these words. He said, if I were the prince of darkness, that's the devil. If I were the prince of darkness, I would want to engulf the whole world in darkness. I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population but I would not be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. So I would set about however necessary to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. And I would begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince the children that man created God instead of the other way around. I'd confide that what's bad is good and what's good is bad. I would caution the young people not to be extreme in religion, in patriotism, or in moral conduct. And to the old, I would teach them to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. Then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd peddle narcotics To whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellect, but neglect to discipline emotions. I'd tell teachers to let those students run wild. And before you know it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. He wrote this in 1964. And before you know it, you'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. He goes on to say, 
I'd designate an atheist to fight for me before the highest courts. And I'd get preachers to say they're right. Preachers to say atheists are right. With flattery and promises of power, I would get the courts to vote against God and in favor of pornography. If I were Satan, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. With a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing and judges promoting pornography. Soon I would evict God from the courthouse and from the schoolhouse and then from the houses of Congress. In churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and make a God out of science. I'd lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. What do you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I'd convince the young that marriage is old fashioned, that premarital sex is more fun, and that what you see on television is the way to be. And thus, I could undress you in public and lure you into bed with diseases for which there are no cures. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Wow. Pretty powerful, isn't it? He wrote that in 1964. Very prophetic, wasn't it? Because that's pretty much right where this nation is. That's what the devil's been doing for the last many, many years. Decades. Sad when God's been kicked out of the public school, isn't it? Sad when you can't watch a television program. Even a good, clean television program, but when they cut to commercials, the commercials are so dirty. It's embarrassing to to sit and watch. That's where the United States is right now, by and large. Times like these. So, Pastor Terry, what lay ahead, generally speaking, as you've studied the Word of God? What generally lay ahead as we move forward in time? Well, just as simply as I can put it, just some of the major events 
is we have the rapture of the church coming. I'm looking forward to that. Now, I don't know the day or the hour, but we can know the season, and it would appear to me that we're in the season. Yet many Christians, including myself, used to think that God was going to get us out of here before we had to go through any persecution at all. And I do believe that the rapture is going to take place before the tribulation occurs. But before the tribulation, actually, that seven-year tribulation period, before that starts, I do believe that we as Christians are going to have to go through some persecution. We have it really easy here in America. Even as bad as it is, it's still a lot easier than it is in most parts of the world. But on the route we're on, you'll see persecution increase in this nation. I said you'll see it increase in this nation. And I believe we as Christians are going to have to go through some of that before the rapture of the church. But thank God, I believe before the worst of it comes, the Lord will catch us out. The Bible says the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Are you looking forward to that? People will argue when the rapture is going to happen and all of that. I'm not arguing with anybody anymore about that, but I do believe that that is an event that's coming. After that, we have the release of the Antichrist who will come forward as a peacemaker, someone to satisfy both the, the Jews and the Muslims. The Bible talks about the ministry of, of, of 144,000 born-again Jewish evangelists and a great revival going on. Here upon the earth, even as the Antichrist is rising to power. Because you see, God always keeps a voice in the earth. Aren't you glad he does? Right now, his voice in the earth is the church. I said his voice in the earth is the church. His voice in the earth is the the Christian. His voice in the earth right now is the church. But when the church is caught up, raptured, taken up, you see, then his voice in the earth will be these Jewish evangelists. And if you study the book of Revelation, you'll see about the middle of the tribulation period, those Jewish evangelists are caught up to heaven. And so then God has two witnesses. They'll be his voice in the earth uh, during the last part of the tribulation. You see, during the first part of the tribulation, uh, it'll be the evangelists. And then at the end of the, tri- the last part of the, uh, the tribulation, it'll be the two witnesses, you know. And they'll be his voice in the earth. During the ministry of those two witnesses, you'll have the rise of the, well, actually the rise of the false prophet who works in conjunction. And under the authority of the Antichrist, you'll see that the Antichrist will turn into what the Bible calls the beast, you know. And he'll turn his back on Israel. There'll be the mark of the beast in that hour, 666 and so on. And you person that's here in that time won't be able to buy or sell. Except they receive that mark in their right hand or their forehead. 
In that hour, if you don't maintain a witness, those who are pussy people will get born again under the ministry of the witnesses that are here. And, and uh, I believe they're Enoch and Elijah. I'm not going to argue with you about who those are. I, I, I believe it's Enoch and Elijah because they've not experienced death yet. But, but nonetheless, there'll be people that get born again during, their, during and under their ministry. And uh, they won't be able to buy or sell without that mark, the Bible says. And people that hold to their testimony of Jesus Christ, uh, they'll get their heads chopped off. They'll be beheaded. Now, years ago, when I, when I preached that and would say that, everybody kind of just sit there and look at me and say, well, heads chopped off? Heads chopped off? Oh, Pastor Terry, that's a thing of the past. Dear friends, they're chopping heads off by the multitudes right now over in the Middle East, aren't they? So it's not so far-fetched anymore, is it? Oh, the Bible's right, dear friends. One thing I'll stake my life on and, and, and eternity on is the Bible's right. I said the Bible's right. Now, things don't always happen the way we think that they're going to, but when we look back at it, the Bible's always right. Did you get what I just said? Like the end times, many people, many preachers preach the end times and they have different takes on it. But, but you know, when we get on the other side and we look back, everything that happens will have happened just the way the Bible said that it will. And we'll look at it and we'll say, oh my goodness, it happened just like the Bible said. And then at the end of the tribulation, the armies of the earth will be gathered together to the Middle East to fight the battle of Armageddon. Of course, Jesus comes in his, what's known as the second coming. He sets his feet down on the Mount of Olives and so on and so forth. He, he, he fights the battle of Armageddon, wins the battle of Armageddon. The Bible says the blood will flow to the horse's bridle for 200 miles there in the Middle East and so on and so forth. And much we could say. And then Jesus will set up his millennial reign upon the earth. says that he'll rule with a rod of iron. I used to wonder about that years ago. Why would he have to rule with a rod of iron? Well, can you see over there in the Middle East? There needs to be somebody that rules with a rod of iron. But Jesus will be a benevolent ruler, you see. Much we could say. That's generally what's going to happen as we move forward from the Bible. But what about the United States of America? What about the United States of America? And I just want to give you some thoughts that I have concerning the United States of America. And you can do with it whatever you want. But I believe... That in 2001, America received her last call from God and has been given time to repent, but it has not repented. I remember after those planes went into the towers. In the next few days after that, you had the congressman standing upon the steps there in Washington singing God bless America but how long did they sing that not very long I remember the churches filled up but how long did that last 
not very long. And if anything, America has gotten not better since then, but worse. And you say, why do I base, what do I base that on? That America received her last call from God in 2001. Well, uh, has anybody ever heard of Brother Hagen, Kenneth Hagen? All right. Now, you know, you may not know who he is. You may know who he is and not like him. You may know who he is and like him. But I followed his ministry for many, many, many years. And I believe that he's a, he is a, a, a true prophet of God. And uh, in 1950, he had a vision. And you can go read it in his book, I Believe in Visions. Now, around here, we don't exalt a man, woman, boy, or girl. Real loud, say amen. So I'm not exalting that man. We exalt the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Okay, but God does give, you know, gifts unto men, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And so I believe that he was an authentic minister of the gospel. And uh, and he'd be the first one to stand here and say, I can miss it. How many of you know we can all miss it? Is that right? But he had a uh, but the proof of the pudding's in the eating. So you can examine things. And he had a vision in 1950 in Rockwall, Texas. And among other things, there was one thing in there that concerned America. And you can go read it in that book, I Believe in Visions. and It's documented. And in 1950, he had a vision concerning America. And uh, he saw the skyline of a large city. And then he saw the skyscrapers as burned out Hulls, H-U-L-L-S, burned out hulls. And he didn't quite really know what to make of that, but that's what he saw. Now, what did we see on September 11th, 2001? We saw the skyline of a large city, didn't we? We saw skyscrapers as burned out hulls. Now, he saw that 1950, 51 years before it happened. You know, there was a whole lot of people, if you remember, preachers and Christians prophesying on 9-12. It's one day after 9-11. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot of, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of, it just doesn't take a whole lot to prophesy on 9-12. Any ding-dong can do that. Did you hear what I just said? And there was a lot of ding-dongs prophesying on 9-12. Let's prophesy something 51 years before it happens. Now that gets my attention. Don't give me the 9-12 prophet. Give me a 9-10 prophet. Can you say amen? Somebody that, you know, this man saw this 51 years before it happened. And it would appear from my study of it that in that time, in that time, America received her last call from God. You know, before judgment comes, God always gives time to repent. He always gives warning and always gives ample time to repent. But America has not yet repented. And then as we 
moved seven years past 2001 to 2008, I believe that America was again warned by God to repent. As you saw the stock market crash and lost 777 points, I believe it was, in one day. And you ought to get that book, The Harbinger, by Jonathan Kahn. In fact, I taught a lesson from it one time some time ago as it pertains to the Old Testament Shemitah and the Sabbath year and sabbatical year and If you want to get somebody's attention, just start dealing with their money. Is that right? Somebody asked me, Pastor Terry, did God cause those terrorists to run those planes in on 9-11? No, I don't believe God is a killer. I don't believe he caused that. You have to understand something about God and his judgment. There is a a, a judgment of God that that happens when he lifts his hand of protection. Did you get what I just said? I don't believe God caused those planes to run in to those towers. but, But God will lift his hand of protection. And so, we had 2001, we had 2008, now we're in 2014. And America has not repented. And then, you have the President of the United States allowing someone to come into the Rose Garden just some weeks ago and give praise to Allah. And the president stands there and smiles. You need to understand Allah and Jehovah are not the same. You need to understand that. And the Bible says that God is a jealous God. America is in a dangerous place right now. So what lay ahead for the United States of America? Well, as I've prayed and as I've looked in the midnight hour, it would appear to me that the judgment of God is pending upon the United States. Now, people don't want to hear that a lot of times. I said, people don't want to hear that a lot of times. Some have said that they see a great revival coming to the United States. I've not seen that. What do you mean, seen it, pastor? I'm talking get in prayer and get over in the spirit. 
But then again, the office that God has placed me into, sometimes he'll allow certain people to see things that he doesn't allow others. Be that as it may, I've not seen the revival, but that doesn't mean revival will not happen. Somebody say amen. Just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. I've seen that the judgment of God is pending on the United States. You can't kill as many little babies as we've killed unborn in the womb and stand up and proclaim blessing on something like that. Uh, uh, you can do it. A lot of preachers stand up and declare blessing. But you, but, but you know there's false prophets, aren't there? I said, aren't there? You can't kill as many little babies as we've killed and expect God's blessing to be on it. Idolatry runs rampant in this nation. I would like to see people get as excited about what Jesus did at Calvary and through his death, burial, and resurrection. I'd like to see people in America get as excited about that as they do about the World Cup soccer or the Super Bowl, or the World Series, or the Masters Golf Tournament. And now you have homosexuality rising in this nation like never before. I know it's always been here, but rising like never before. How many of you have seen that? And so the judgment of God is pending. Now, some have said there's a great revival going to come to the United States. That may well be. I I, I haven't seen it. Just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean it won't happen. You know, the prophets, listen to this. The prophets in the Old Testament did not always see the entirety of what was going to happen concerning a certain thing. Sometimes just part of it. Perhaps revival is going to happen in the United States. Sometimes revival happens as a result of the judgment of God. Did you ever think about that? Or the warning of impending judgment. It would be so good if the ministers of the gospel would stand and preach and declare that the judgment of God is impending upon this nation. So many preachers won't do it. You know why they won't do it? Because people don't want to hear that. We live in a time now where most church people want to be entertained when they come to church. They always want an illustrative sermon. They always want something to... The attention span isn't very... Long anymore, it seems. The kind of preaching that I do and flowing in the spirit that we do just isn't so popular anymore. People don't want to tolerate it. They don't want to sit that long. 
doesn't matter that you can wait on God for an hour, hour and a half, start seeing people get healed left and right. That doesn't matter so much to people. They want to get out and beat the Baptist to McDonald's. That's where, that's where, we're, that's where, that's where we're living. The society in which we live, there's so much going on. There's so much to do. I mean, you got your iPhone, you got your iPad, you got your this, you got your that. There's so much that to sit and listen to the word of God. I mean, a lot of church services are designed. You don't go any more than about 20 minutes and then you got to get the people out. You can't have a move of God in 20 minutes. I said, you can't have a move of God in 20 minutes. Did you get what I just said? You can't get God to move on your timetable. You move on his timetable. You come and wait and stay and wait on him and wait upon the Lord. That 20 minute mentality. This message that I'm preaching here today wouldn't be accepted in a lot of churches, even in this St. Louis Metroplex. Not entertaining. I'm not telling jokes. I'm not making people laugh. I'm not. I had one lady years ago, she came and she said, Pastor Terry, I'm just not going to come back here uh, anymore because uh, there's some services you make me feel real good, but you don't make me feel good every service and I need to feel good every service. So I'm not going to come back here anymore. What do you, what do you do? What do you do? You just stand and you just have to, with tears in your eyes, watch them go wherever they're going to go. But we have to continue on with what God's saying. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. I'm not saying I'm the only one. There's a lot of good churches and pastors, but so many of them have turned aside. You wonder why the United States is in the mess that it's in. I don't think we can point the blame to Washington, D.C. as much as we must point the blame to the pulpits of America. And that in turn reflects right back upon the Christians. And if the Christians... If the pastors would stand up and proclaim the gospel and if the Christians would put their iPhones down and put their cable television down and put their iPads down and put some of these things down for just a few minutes, go on their knees and pray and then go to the voting booths and vote the Bible, we could run this this tomfoolery and this stupidity and this do-nothingness and this, this ungodliness out of political office and bring in the godly, you see. Sometimes revival happens as a result of judgment or warning of impending judgment. Sometimes revival happens as a result of a remnant of the church praying. Remnant. Realize, say remnant. Remnant. One thing I've learned is that seldom do you, I've never seen it yet. I've been, been around this, doing this in one form or another for 35 some odd years. I've never seen one time yet where you call a prayer meeting, you get the whole church to show up. Never. 
in this church and any other church anywhere I've ever seen. Because most Christians don't have a prayer life. Most Christians don't really pray a whole lot. And there's certainly, most of them uh, are not passionate enough about God that they'll come and make themselves an instrument for the Lord to get down on their knees and, and stand in the gap, you see. And I'm not putting anybody down. That's just been my observation. God looks for people to stand in the gap, you see. But there's always been a remnant of the church that does the praying. And that's just seemingly the way that it's been. So many spectators in Christianity, very few players. But, but the people that spectate often get what Brother Hagin used to call the slop over blessing, you know. We'll pray, seek God, we'll get blessed. And then you get close enough to a Christian that's lukewarm and sometimes a blessing that's on me, I'll slop over and get on them, you see. Well, thank God if that's the only way you can get it. I don't want the slop over blessing. I want to go get it, get it for myself. Can you say amen? You, you understand what I said when I said slop over blessing. You just, you know, you get so full of yourself that it just slops over and gets on somebody else, you see. Sometimes revival happens as a result of the remnant of the church praying. Listen to this and I'll close. In the early 1800s, John Marshall, in the early 1800s, John Marshall, then Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, wrote to then President James Madison and said, the church is too far gone ever to be redeemed. See, in times like these, it's good to remember that there's always been times like these. Because I know I've thought that a lot of times as I've looked and not just, just, I mean, just at churches in general, it just seems like the Christians are too far gone. But the chief justice thought this back in the early 1800s. The reason was because the preachers had stopped preaching the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. And the people were not hearing God's word. Is that similar to anything we've seen today? A remnant, listen, a remnant, I say remnant. A remnant of Christians began to diligently pray for revival. As a result, the Bible was again opened in the pulpits. The entire word of God was again passionately preached. And thus revival spread to the heartland of America. This is known as the second great awakening. We're going to be praying tomorrow night at 7. Tuesday at 7, Wednesday at 7, Thursday at 7. We want to invite you to come. Praying for America. The only thing that will save America from judgment, from the judgment of God, is a true national repentance. The only thing that will save America from the judgment of God is true national repentance. Somebody said, we need a revival. To get a revival sent by God, you must first have repentance. Every true revival that God was in the middle of began with repentance. We don't need a revival of hilarity. We don't need a revival of Christians laughing like hyenas. We don't need a revival of Christians running around the room acting like a bunch of drunk people. I say we don't need a revival of that. 
Drunkenness is condemned in Scripture. We're supposed to be of sober mind, but we're also supposed to have the power of God and the joy of the Lord and the life of God in us, you see. But what we need is a, is we need a, a revival that stems from Christians repenting. Judgment begins at the house of God. This thing needs to begin in the house of God. Repentance begins in the house of God. God's main message to the church in the book of Revelation chapters 2 and 3 to the church was repentance. And then from repentance, you'll get revival. The only thing that can save America from the judgment of God is true national repentance. Final, final comment. It's interesting as you look in Brother Hagin's book when he saw the skyline of the city, great city. And he saw skyscrapers as burned out hulls and he saw portions of the city burned and laying in ruins. And we've already talked about that. But he also saw something else that I didn't mention a while ago. Something that does have my attention. He said in there that that that, that it was written as he saw it, that was not the only such city. Now, I don't know what all that means. I don't know when all that's going to happen. But if he hit it on, if he got it right on the first point, I believe he's going to be pretty accurate on the second. I'm not saying that to scare anybody. I don't have time frames on that. I, I don't know all what that means. But I do know this, that we're living in some perilous times. And uh, we definitely need to pray. And be people of prayer. And we need to stay real close to God. Pass the communion out very quickly. Stand with me if you would. Do you all uh, hear what the Spirit of God is saying here today? Trust that you are. Pass the communion out as quickly as you can. As quickly as you can. We'll close up a little different today. Did I get everything in, Diane, that I needed? When you get your communion, come on up here and come into the altar. We'll just stay for a moment. Come on, come on. Let's go, guys. Quick, quick, quick. Come on. Let's go. Let's do it as quickly as we can. Get your communion.